0: Six overtime. Oh yeah, six overtimes.
1: Oh yeah. Not a journalist is an absolute idiot, but that's okay. Not a time back, I'd like to be retired someday. I'm getting tired. Ah.
0: What's up everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Six Overtimes podcast. I'm Chaz Wagner, we've got our host Scott Wildermuth down in Doylestown, PA, and we want you to call into the show. Our number, we've just set it up, is 347-464-9360. We want to hear what you think, what you don't think, everything in between. And you can also email us at sixovertimes at gmail.com. If you want a lengthy piece, something short and sweet, send us that. Check out our website, sixovertimes.us, and on Twitter, our handle is simply at sixovertimes. So today we are going to run through, it's Tuesday, November 15th, we're going to run through the eight biggie games that were played last night. Today, actually, the first Big East team went down. That was the West Virginia Mountaineers, and they were playing part of ESPN's College Basketball Marathon, an awesome event put on by the ESPN guys, a 24-hour marathon. And we're also going to end the podcast by talking about some of the games coming up tonight. There are four Big East games on the docket. So... Let's bring in our co host, Scott. What's up, my man? Not too much, Chaz. Uh, you know, like you said,
1: it's it's just a fantastic thing that ESPN puts on. Uh, this has become an annual event 24 hours of basketball. And if you want to watch Cal State Northridge against Hawaii at 4 in the morning, you're able to. And that is just so awesome. It's amazing.
0: Did you stay up?
1: I did not. I. Uh, I ended up passing out about 2 a.m., but I got the first game, that Gonzaga game, uh, where, where the Zags won by 8. Um, but it's an exciting event, and, and all throughout the day, I'll be kicking my feet up and watching some hoops.
0: Cool, man. I lo- that's what I love to hear. So, the first first game we want to talk about, first team, is the Syracuse Orange, and they beat. Uh, they beat. They beat Manhattan. They beat Manhattan pretty handedly. And what would you take from this game, Scott?
1: Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was tweeting this event at six overtimes, um, and it was it was over before it really started. Um, you could tell early in the game that Manhattan was pressing, and Syracuse just sort of sat back and let them press. Um, you know, and and it led to a lot of easy turnovers from Syracuse, or that Syracuse got, uh, turned into a lot of transition layups, a lot of open shots. Uh, Chris Joseph was money from three-point land, and uh, as you well know, uh, he joined the 1,000-point career, uh, career point club last night.
0: this guy that, that's accused to do that. It's pretty impressive. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, – I think everyone sort of expected him to hit that hit that number uh, this season, and and probably well eclipse that and try to get into the 1500 point club. Um, he's gonna have a big year, and he just he just looked fantastic. Um, and Fab Mello just I thought Fab Mello played extraordinarily well underneath. He rebounded, he blocked, and contested a lot of shots. Um, you know I think he's gonna he has room to grow and room to develop even further and just be a force down low for for the orange this season
0: four blocks again that's we'll see if he can how long he can he can keep that up yeah absolutely that would be silly and then our boy off the bench mr microwave uh Dion waiters put up uh he had seventeen points in only in only nineteen minutes I mean this guy. He he could very well come into the starting rotation by by how he's starting out the year. But I regardless if he's starting or coming off the bench, he is instant offense for for this orange team. And he's he's had to pick up the slack for Scoop Jardine had a laid up a nice goose egg. Actually, it was it was un, not nice at all. So I I, I you really want to see him play play better than than how he started out the year.
1: Yeah, and that's really the only negative takeaway that I got from that game. I thought Syracuse played so well um, all around. You know, Trish played really well as uh, also, and, and you mentioned Waiters. Between the two of them, I, I think they might be starting by the end of the year because Scoop Jardine was just nowhere to be found that entire game. And, and you know, the announcers kept trying to bring him into the game just like – Saying oh scoop Jardine's a mentor for waiters and yada 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 but he didn't he didn't do anything mer- uh, that merited any conversation around jardine and and I just don't know where he is I have no idea
0: no idea where's scoop <laughs> so next team uh moving on from syracuse we got we got Notre Dame and they 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 played tough they played gritty they beat Detroit 59-53 to 53 last night, and it was a slug them out, just a... They played like a Big East team would, and traditionally, Notre Dame has not been... They've been, as we know, more running gun with the, the Hansboroughs and, and that Mike Bray offense.
1: Yeah, and Notre Dame just... They were down for most of the game, and Detroit should have won, and they sort of shot themselves in the foot with turnovers, and they went for, I think it was like a seven-minute dry spell in the middle of the second half. But Notre Dame overcame um, a little bit of a lack of athleticism in comparison to Detroit by just being very, very polished. They ran their offense. They didn't let Detroit throw them off their game, and it was sort of like... A constant barrage of shots from Notre Dame that were all good shots. You know, Grant had a really nice game for these guys, and and Atkins once again uh, continues his strong start to the 2011-2012 season.
0: Yeah, and I guess these guys were hit with the flu bug. This this may have been why they they didn't look that sharp on offense. And I think Atkins, uh, Joey Brooks, and uh, Connington had had uh, some sort of the flu bug. So something they need to get behind them but Scott Martin didn't didn't look all that impressive and I know he's he's eaten some of those minutes and and taking some of the shots that Abramidus would be taking but Scott was uh, scoreless in those first 30 minutes he scored down the stretch when they when they pulled away but you want to see him he played 39 minutes and you really want to see him as a as a senior leader and a captain have have better performances
1: yeah he was very much like scoop jardine for syracuse i mean uh, i just he's not even worth mentioning in 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 this game he just wasn't around he didn't do anything really contributing wise he had a couple of rebounds but you know his name wasn't really brought up at all um the guy who really impressed me outside of atkins is jerry and grant and you know it Brings me back a little bit to my NBA Jam days, where I played with uh, Horace Grant, who is uh, Jerrion's uncle.
0: Uh, the uncle.
1: Yeah, but Jerrion, you know, he, he could be a spark plug for those guys and get some get some buckets. And he he made a couple open threes. He made a couple of athletic passes down low. Um, look for him to be an important part of Notre Dame going forward.
0: Definitely, and staying in the uh, staying in the Midwest. Another team was uh, DePaul. DePaul won. They beat Mississippi Valley State. Was it 80-70? to Was that the score, Scott? Sure was. Sure was. And I think it wasn't as close as the final score dictated. I think the Delta Devils scored some late buckets. But the big story from this was Jeremiah Kelly. He had 24 points. He hit, uh, I think he hit... He had five consecutive threes at one stretch, and I was watching some of the highlights. And he really takes it back. He has a he has a funky shot. He takes it back behind his head, as as you've seen some people with that that shooting style. And yeah, I don't know how it consistently he he's gonna make them, but he he was hitting last night.
1: Yeah, and he's he's a guy that can really contribute for this team and, and take some pressure off of Cleveland Melvin. We've talked about him and uh, Chris Faber as well. Um, but you're right, it, it wasn't as close as the 10 points indicates, and Mississippi Valley State had a run in the last couple of minutes to really get it within about eight. And to me, the takeaway from this game is, you know Mississippi Valley State's down eight after going on a 7-0 run with two minutes left in the game, and DePaul bucked up and won anyway, and they didn't fold. They didn't let it get closer, and I think it's a big character win for uh, for the DePaul Blue Demons going forward.
0: Yeah, and I'm impressed by the freshman on DePaul, Charles McKinney. He hit double figures for the second game. So in both games, he's He's logged, uh, you know, he only played half the game, and he, and he reached double figures. So it's nice to see that, along with Melvin and Kelly, that they're, they're getting, uh, you know, one, one of the freshmen is, is contributing early on. Yeah, and
1: they're scoring a lot of points, and that's something that I think the two of us anticipated not to be the case going forward yeah. uh, for this year. So it's good to see the offense is clicking for uh, DePaul, and it was a nice win, very nice win.
0: So let's move on to your boys, staying in the Midwest uh, in in the Bradley Center. I'm I'm becoming such a
1: Marquette fan. Oh yeah, Buzz. Um, yeah. Buzz Williams is is probably my favorite college basketball coach right now. He's just so animated, and he was going nuts in his uh, jumpsuit at, at the post game interviews. Um, I
0: love what he wear. He he's just so casual and lax in, in the in the interviews. Yeah, it's
1: great. It's great. You get a lot of good quotes that way.
0: He gets that suit off right away. Oh yeah. Um, Man, man's got to get comfortable. <laughs> So Marquette
1: won 99-68. It was a runaway win for the second consecutive game for these guys. Um, really not a whole lot to talk about because it was such a blowout, and I don't think we, we can get a lot of information from these types of games. But DJO and, and Crowder combined for 49 points. Um,
0: to be expected.
1: Yep, exactly. Uh, Marquette shot the ball exceptionally well. They, they really made the open shots that they had to make, and, uh, you know, they did what they had to do. They won.
0: They did, and they really distributed the ball well. I think they had something in the mid-20s for assist, and, you know, they're really getting the ball around well, and what was the one stat that I wanted about Marquette? Um, oh, we were talking about the freshman, our last podcast, and I, I wasn't, I didn't see much th- from them and there was one freshman that finally emerged in this game that i thought was well and was todd mayo and yes as the name implies that's oj mayo's little brother and he had 12 points in this game it was nice to see him stepping up and we'll see as as the season goes along if he can fit into buzz's rotation
1: yeah it's nice to get scoring from him and vander blue was another guy that had a a nice game for the second consecutive time uh he put up 14 points and was pretty efficient from the field, you know, only taking eight shots. So,
0: and all Buzz said in the, I I didn't see the whole thing, but all he said in the post game was ragged. It was it was ragged out there. We were ragged. <laughs> the the raggedness of the game.
1: Yeah, and you know they got the win, and I didn't see any negatives to come out of the game. So uh, I'm I'm gonna say that Marquette is awesome and uh, not just because they're your. Favorite yeah, exactly. I'm not biased right now.
0: <laughs> all right, let's 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 move away from the Midwest, and let's go down south to South Florida. They beat Marist last night 81-67, to and the star of this game that everyone's really psyched about is Victor Rudd. He was the transfer coming over from Arizona State, and he put up a career-high 30 points, and I think all the Bulls fans, they were they were talking about him in the in the off season looking for him to to break through and this was the game he was uh he was nasty with 30 points.
1: He went absolutely bananas. He just, he, he led the team and he, he led him to a victory. And, it, it, you know, it was a 14 point win by USF, um, but it wasn't really even that close. It was, it was out of, uh, out of Maris hands early. They made a late run in the first half to get it a little bit closer, but that gap expanded uh, early in the second half and USF you know, looked pretty good. Augustus Gilchrist had a double-double, something that we've uh, learned to learned to see from him. Um, but, yeah, the story is Victor Rudd, and, and he went just absolutely bananas.
0: Yeah, and it looks like their point guard play, one of the concerns and the questions to be answered starting the year was the point guard play and were they going to efficiently handle the ball. And through two games, especially last night, um, as kind of a by committee, the point guards are um, holding on to the basketball well and in, in, in distributing it out.
1: Yeah. Yep. And it was evidenced by only turning the ball over 10 times. And, uh, you know, when you protect the ball, good things happen. Definitely. So moving on, uh, we had the Georgetown Hoyas play host to UNC Greensboro last night. They ended up winning in a blowout uh, 86 to 45. It also wasn't that close, and uh, you know, Georgetown continued that undefeated Big East streak uh, at the seven o'clock games from last night.
0: Yeah, and this was part of the Maui Invitational. Somehow, this is included in uh, by being played in Washington D.C. It falls under the the Maui umbrella. But the takeaways from this game: the two leaders of of Georgetown that we thought from the beginning of the year emerged here. Hollis Thompson scored 19 along with Jason Clark and Hollis Thompson actually scored, scored more points than he did minutes played. I think it was 19 to 18. And, and then, uh, Jason Clark took, he took like 18 shots. I think it was in 20 minutes of play. And he got to nine I think he got to 19 points as well, but that's, that's a hell of a lot of shots to be chucking up in, in only 20 minutes' time. I mean, that's that's AI and and Kobe, Kobe territory there. But uh, one of the other positive things to come from this is JT3's use of the freshman, and he's really going to work them in the rotation this year, and all of them contributed in a pretty positive manner throughout.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the big story coming out of this game. I mean, they played, what, 12 guys, I believe, Um And most of them had over 15 minutes. So it was good to see JT3 go to the bench early and often, especially in a blowout. So they could get some of those guys a little bit more experience under their belts. Um, The other, I took two things away from this game. Uh, They were plus 15 in rebounding margin in a game that was a blowout early. That's easy just to stop rebounding in and uh, they forced twice as many turnovers as they committed. So it's another good thing to look at that they protected the ball um, in a game that could have turned sloppy real easy with, when they won by 41 points.
0: Yeah, and moving on, Providence beat uh, Ed Cooley, beat his former team Fairfield 80-72 to in a really, really good game. Uh, nice to see him. He didn't want to go back and, and lose to his former ball club and, and hear that for, for the rest of the year. But what came from this was the the stars and leaders from Proven from the Friars emerged and, and played really well and led him to the victory. Vincent Council had twenty six points and seven assists. Bryce Cotton hit his career high of, of twenty four and then Gerard Coleman had had seventeen. So they were the big three for, for the Friars, not much contribution from the other players, but hey, that's if uh, if 67 points from three guys is, is pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, and, and it's from three guys, it's not from two. So I think it's a lot harder to yep. uh, scheme against three players that can all put it in the bucket. Um, so I think that's that's a good thing to see, and, and we'll have to track it going from here on out to see if Gerard Coleman can definitely be a contributor coming uh, all year long. I also like to see that uh, Providence said, uh, "Screw you to Vegas." Um, don't put me at seven and a half point underdogs going to Fairfield.
0: Got him by the hook.
1: Yeah, no, they were getting seven and a half.
0: Or, oh, oh, they weren't. They Providence wasn't given seven.
1: No, they were they were underdogs to Fairfield, yeah. So I think Fairfield, you know, they're a good team. They're going to be around. They're going to be competing for some sort of uh, tourney bid, um, and I think this is a quality win against a quality opponent early in the season, and, you know, it's basically the opposite of what West Virginia did today by losing to Kent State, who's a going to be a good team too, and and, you know, Kudos to the Friars and, and Cooley for getting the W.
0: Yeah, and they're not taking those reckless, quick, um, you know, ill advised shots that they were taking with, with Aquino Davis team. They took under 10 three point shots, and even though, you know, they scored 80 points, it's not for lack of, of scoring, but just smarter shots, uh, more controlled, uh, you know, taking a little bit more time off the clock and not not just chucking it up right away.
1: Yeah, more controlled is, is a good thing to see. And, you know, they only took 54 shots, so that was a win, I think, as well. But let's move on to the Yukon Huskies, who, uh, who was my team to win the Big East this season. And uh, as they did last game, Shabazz Napier and Jeremy Lamb proved to be uh, the two best players on the court, um, scoring... 21 points and and 20 points respectively.
0: Yeah, that backcourt is it looks like it's it's going to drive them as as the Huskies go. It's it's going to be led by Lamb and Napier. But it was nice to see Drummond actually get uh put up put up some numbers uh last night. He scored 8 Certainly. points, 3 blocks. Nice to see him active on the defensive end and that's what that's what everyone was raving about this guy. How he's going to be he's really going to impress us on with his shot blocking and and on the glass, and Oriaki still, you know, he only played. Was he in foul trouble? Uh, no, he wasn't. No, the dude only he played seventeen minutes. Wow, looking at the box score, Lamb played the entire game, so it wasn't it wasn't as if Calhoun was sitting all his his starters because it wasn't. How much did did they win by? They only won by twelve. Okay, so it was a ball game. Or he must, you know, Olander is is getting a chunk of the minutes. He's playing a lot. He looked
1: spectacular in the first game. I unfortunately wasn't able to see this, but he looked so much more active than Oriaki did in in game one. Um, but let's not kill Oriaki because he had nine boards in seventeen minutes.
0: Right, but I'm I'm uh. What I'm taken aback by is is the minutes. He's not getting getting many minutes, yeah. and it might be a result of Calhoun wants to get Drummond in there. Uh, he he needs I guess he needs the, you know Roscoe Smith is good, Olander's good, so it's just anyone that he puts in there is capable. But you know eight and nine are is 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 around his stat line last year, so it's not like he's he's playing terrible.
1: Yeah, maybe he's in the doghouse. Um, the the takeaways that I, that I look at at this game is Connecticut continues to struggle with turnovers. Uh, they turned the ball over 19 times in this game and only had seven assists on 21 baskets. So that continues to scare me, and, and that's something that uh, we should really keep an eye on as, as the
0: year goes on. Definitely. So that wraps up all the eight games that were played last night on Monday night. And today, Tuesday, November 15th, we had West Virginia play at 10 a.m. They went down to Kent State, and it was a home loss, and it really wasn't It wasn't even that close coming down the stretch in the second half. But for tonight, we got four games. We got Rutgers and the freshmen going down to Miami, down to Coral Gables. We have the Great Danes of Albany going to the Carrier Danes, Carrier Dome to play Cuse, and then we have Jacksonville State going into Cincinnati and part of the Big Five in Philadelphia, the first, first game of that stretch. We have LaSalle going to Nova. So what what do you see on that on that schedule for tonight, Scott?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think we should really brush over West Virginia losing by 10 at home by to Kent State, and, and they're a good team, but you got to be able to win those early games at home, and you know it's going to be interesting to see if Bob Huggins can really swing them back and and get a get a win in their next uh, next chance, because I think that'll be very important for uh, the team's morale. But of course, I'm always feeling that Nova LaSalle uh, rivalry. You know, I want to see how Nova does again, and and Javon Pinkston and and Yaru and all those guys, and I just want to see him win and, and continue to look impressive in the early goings of this season. What about you?
0: I'm pretty excited to see Rutgers. I think that's the tough stiffest competition that any Big East team has faced yet is going down to Miami, uh, an ACC team, and it's going to be a real litmus test to see how those freshman guards, uh, especially Miles Mack, Handles uh, the pressure, and you know, a, a pretty big stage for for a freshman heading in heading into Miami. So we'll see if they can cut down the turnovers that they had Friday night against Dartmouth. And I'm I'm hoping to see Dane Miller, uh, on a, in a road game. That's where I really see some some upper leadership coming out.
1: Yeah, I think that's the first uh, game that a Big East. Big East uh, member has of one someone
0: in the big six conferences right mm-hmm. and they're going on the road I mean everyone all, all you're seeing is people playing at home right now
1: you know I think we've seen some good competition early on like we like we said Fairfield is a pretty decent team I thought De- Detroit was pretty impressive and uh, I think Kent State's going to be there at the end as well uh, but Miami is definitely the class of that and and you're right. It's going to be a litmus test for Rutgers.
0: All right, Scott. So one of the features we like doing here at the Six Overtime's podcast is talking about the best and worst of the games from the night prior. And my best from Monday night was Victor Rudd. As I said, he's a transfer coming from Arizona State, from coming from Herb Sendek's program. And after sitting out last year, it was really nice after reading all the all the praise that that the South Florida program was talking about him and him emerging this year, for him to go off for 30 points and go bananas, as you put it. I really, really like that to see, and someone is going to have to be that two-scorer alongside Augustus Gilchrist. And even better is you like seeing a front court presence, someone that can score down low, get some offensive boards, put it back, but also someone from the perimeter, and I think that will be an exciting one-two punch if Victor Rudd can continue that play throughout the year. And then for my worst of Monday night was, I mean, it has to be Scott Martin. And with Timmy Abramidus Abram- out, somebody has to pick it up. And other guys did eventually. Scott, as we said, was, went 30 minutes of the first, you know, first 30 minutes of the game without scoring. And for a senior leader like him, I know he's gone through some injuries over the years and had some hardship there, but he's got to play play better against lesser competition especially. And he's not shooting that well from the field. Uh, I'd like to see him just more active on the whole. I know it's not all scoring, but you want to see him uh, just a better presence all around throughout the court. So that's my best and worst of the weekend. What are, we, what are we looking at on your end, Scott?
1: You know, you took my best of Monday night, to be completely frank with you. Um but just for, to be different, I'll take Jeremiah Kelly from DePaul. Um, I think it's important that they find another scorer outside of Cleveland, Melvin, and Jeremiah Kelly proved to be that guy last night. Um, he poured in a bunch of threes and had 24 points and led the Blue Demons to a win over Mississippi Valley State. Um, that's just going to be very important and, and something that, they need from Kelly and Faber all year long in order for them to be competitive in every game that they have. My worst, um, comes from the Louisville Cardinal, um, who didn't even play last night, but they lost Mike Mara for the season with the torn ACL. Um, he's a guy who averaged about six points a game last year with Patino's program. Um, I think it's just tough to lose a guy that knows how the offense runs. He's a veteran. He's someone who's, who could control that offense a little bit. And seeing him go down is is going to be a struggle. But if there's any team that could deal with at least one injury is Louisville because they are just so incredibly deep um, at every position. So, Mike Mara gets my uh, worst of the day, but but we hope that he uh, has a speedy recovery and, and we can see him next year. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us at the Six Overtimes podcast. Uh, once again, and as always, you can reach us at sixovertimes at gmail.com or reach us at 347-464-9360. Tell us what you think, uh, what you're seeing, and you know <laughs> if you're disagreeing with what we have to say. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Six Overtimes. Uh, we are trying to to be as active as we can on that with all the games that are on TV. Um, Hopefully we can do something with the Rutgers game or the Villanova game this evening. Um, You can also find the podcast on iTunes and on our website at sixovertimes.us and uh, thanks a lot and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.